Well, what a great time of worship it was today. So excited that you've joined us again for this, our fourth week in our big screen series that we do every July. And this year, of course, we're talking about the end of the world edition. Uh, you've not been privy here on our online campus to some of the movie clips we've been showing because of copyright laws. But today we showed our fourth and final video movie clip. And that was from the movie, not a blockbuster, not a big Hollywood thriller uh, like I Am Legend or the Book of Eli, but nonetheless, a, a popular movie amongst a lot of people called uh, Left Behind. And, and in the scene that we showed was a, a, a group of people riding on an airplane, and this moment, this event takes place called the rapture, uh, where the people who are followers of Jesus are taken away or caught away instantaneously in the blink of an eye. And as the scene unfolds uh, on the plane, people begin to realize that there are loved ones, uh, husbands, wives, children who have simply vanished from the plane and panic ensues. And that leads us to kind of our big idea for the day as we unpack this final message in the series. And that is this, this couldn't really happen, could it? This idea that people would just instantly vanish from earth without any notice, um, seemingly right before our eyes, leaving behind piles of clothes and personal belongings. Christian and non-Christians alike are familiar with the idea of this, uh, this event called the rapture. Whether that's from just the culture we live in or uh, some uh, connection to church or from the popular book series from the mid-1990s, around 1995, the Left Behind series, uh, this idea of an event that takes place that ushers in the end of the world is something that is not unfamiliar to us, but may beg the question, is that really going to happen? Could that really happen? The idea of the rapture isn't therefore unknown, but it is at the same time shrouded a bit in some mystery. What is unknown or what is mysterious really comes down to the details, like when or how does that happen. And because of that, for a lot of people, it's an event that has sparked some fear. How do you know when it is going to happen? How do you know if you're ready for that? All of those kinds of things that come into place. And then with movies like Left Behind and others that uh, come out with this sudden idea of a disappearance right before our eyes of millions upon millions of people, um, there is a fear factor attached to it. There is for sure also um, in the religious world a difference of opinion on when this event will take place and even some of the ideas on how this event will take place. From the movie and the books, uh, from the clip that we showed in our in-person services or the books that maybe you've read, there's a picture of this event that is uh, scary for a lot of people, but also maybe one of those things that begins to be a question is that really going to happen? People suddenly disappearing without warning, clothes left in place without their bodies, catastrophic disasters that uh, take place because of unmanned vehicles and um, the world spinning into chaos as society is thrown uh, for this crazy event where people, millions of people, in the course of an ordinary day simply vanish to be seen no more. 
And we've kept a lot of our conversations over the last three weeks to kind of the big picture idea. Jesus, remember, started this whole conversation with uh, some of the things that are going to happen, a temple that would be destroyed and a world that would end. And his disciples come there and they ask uh, in private those questions of what are the signs and, and how do we know and when is the end of the age or end of the world? Uh, and Jesus' response was kind of a big picture response. Watch out, he says, that no one deceives you. And then as he has over the last few weeks, as we've looked in Matthew 24, he kind of begins to give them some ideas of what to look for, signs, if you will, things that will take place. He says that there are certain things that will take place and that will mark the beginning of the labor pains, the birthing of the end of the world, the period of time, how long that uh, birthing process would be, how long the labor pains would last. We're not told that. He just says, these are the things that would mark the beginning of that. And then last week, we looked a little further into that. And he said that there would be a moment that uh, an abomination of desolation or an abomination of desolate would come. We might even go so far as to use the word antichrist to speak to who that would be. And it would uh, be a moment where in the midst of tribulation, he would step in and uh, claim to be God and, and overthrow the, the Jewish temple and Jewish worship of Jehovah God, ushering in the last half of the great tribulation. Well, today, let's just get a little bit more specific, can we? And let's spend some time again in Matthew 24, and let's talk about uh, what we have been looking at with this idea of the end of the world. Let's be crystal clear on where we stand and really why all this matters, why we're talking about these things and why we need to talk about these things when it comes to the world and the times we live in. So looking at prophecy can be tough and looking at prophecy can leave some people scratching their heads because not everybody agrees on the interpretation of those prophecies. Scholars of prophecy don't agree all the time on how or uh, when these future events are going to play out. But they do agree, uh, at least on this, that these things will happen. These things that Jesus has prophesied and talked about and Daniel did and John saw in his revelation in the book called Revelation. We know these events will take place. They will occur. The big points, they're agreed upon too, even though the timing of those may not always be. Uh, there are four very specific things that we want to focus on and kind of give you the idea of these things that will take place as we near the end. So let me talk about those today. The first one is this, the rapture of believers. Now there's a difference of opinion on when that rapture will take place, whether that's uh, at a point before or during or after what we are going to talk about next. So the, the rapture of believers, the, the word literally means to be caught up or taken away. Um, and, and we've seen this idea of people being raptured or caught up uh, from the Old Testament. All the way back in the book of Genesis, there was a man named Enoch who was with God and then was uh, or walked with people and then was with God. He was transferred from this place to there. He was raptured away. Uh, we go further into the Old Testament. We meet a prophet named Elijah, who was a powerful man of God, who God used in tremendous ways. And then one day he caught him up or raptured him up in a chariot of fire and took him home to heaven. So the idea of he will being caught up is not something that is not seen throughout Scripture, but this idea of a worldwide rapture of people 
is something that is going to be an extremely important event in the end times. We're talking about that today in particular because we believe that's an event that is yet to happen. Now, the key on this is it's the rapture of believers. That's not just anybody, but people who are born again, people who are followers of Jesus is specifically who this event is for. That's why, in part, there will be some chaos because there will be many people who have claimed to be religious or claimed to have believed in God, but there seems to be no evidence. There seems to be no uh, life uh, style or life, uh, life direction in how they live their life that seems to be surrendered to uh, completely to uh, the authority of Christ. And in this moment, there's going to be a separation for those who have claimed to be or not claimed to be to those who have genuinely been found to be. And the rapture of believers will take place. Uh, the next event that we talked about last week that we want to talk about again is the Great Tribulation, a seven-year period of time uh, marked, uh, many believe, with the beginning point being the rapture of believers. Not everybody agrees with that, but that seems to be a, a common thought that that a beginning of the Great Tribulation will take place at the rapture of believers, marking that as the beginning moment. Whatever that is, whether that's true or not, uh, for, for you to, uh, to sort out theologically, the Great Tribulation is something that Jesus talked about last week. And he said that it's going to be an event that is so terrible, so horrible, that it's going to be like an event that's never happened before. Somewhere in the middle of that event, about three and a half years in, uh, an abomination of desolation. Again, go back and look at last week's message will rise up. Many call him the Antichrist. And he will establish himself as a world leader, but more importantly, the God of this world for everyone to worship. In fact, mandating the worship of him. It is at that point that Jesus talked in our text last week that the world will be thrown into distress like never before and it will usher in a final three and a half years of time that will then come to this event that we call the return of Christ. The return of Christ. Uh, separate from the rapture, not the same thing at all. In fact, we're going to separate those two events in just a moment as we look at the text today. But the return of Christ is when Jesus himself physically returns to the earth. When he comes back and finalizes all of the distress, ends the great tribulation, takes out the Antichrist and casts him into the bottomless pit. Uh, and, and all of these things will take place at a battle called Armageddon. It is something that we're not going to take a lot of time to look at, but something certainly that is worth your time looking at and understanding. The rapture of believers, the great tribulation, the return of Christ. Three extremely important events because at the end of that, after Jesus' return, there is one more event that takes place that is extremely important to finalize the redemption of our world, and that is a thousand-year kingdom reign here on earth earth. There's a lot of details that take place in that, but ultimately here's what you need to know, that Jesus will set up his kingdom back here on earth with those who have followed and believed him before the rapture and after the rapture, and they will be part of that ruling, reigning with him as he begins to finalize the final steps of redemption for this world, where he will once and for all at the end of that reign cast down Satan and his demons for ever, finally abolishing forever the stain of sin, the penalty of sin, and establishing forever a kingdom, not for a thousand years, but for eternity. 
Now that's a lot of information. That's a lot of stuff to go through from the rapture to the thousand year kingdom reign. But those are important things that are part of these final details of the end of the world. So I want to stop here before we go to our text. And I want to make a statement to you today that I think is extremely important. As we talk about things like a thousand year reign or the great tribulation or even the rapture of the church, all of those things will grab our attention. And sometimes we get them mixed up where the rapture of the church is sometimes confused with the second coming of Christ and we mash those things together. So let me say this to you today and then we're going to jump into our text for a few minutes to finalize our message today. The rapture of believers is an important, an important event. It will be unsettling. It will happen suddenly. The Bible describes it, Paul does in his writings to the church, as happening in the twinkling of an eye, almost before you can imagine. It's happened and it's over. But, and I want you to hear me on this today, it is not the pinnacle of the end times prophecy. It is not the place where everything rises and falls. It is not, in other words, the most important thing that will happen. It is important. And as a believer in Christ who believes that the rapture of the church is going to take place to bring us or take us out of the time period known as the Great Tribulation, it is an important event. But it is not the most important event. The rapture is the beginning of the end, but the end is all about Jesus. And I want you to hear me today on this. The Bible describes Jesus as beginning and end, the alpha and the omega. Maybe you've heard that before, the beginning and the end. So if Jesus was there at the beginning when creation was made, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John chapter 1, verse 1. If Jesus was the beginning of all things, if everything is held together by Jesus and for Jesus and for His glory, as the writers in the New Testament talk about, then to ignore Him at the end or not see His importance at the end is a mistake. The rapture is important, but Jesus' second coming is far more important than the rapture, the great tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, or any other things that we might read prophetically happening in Scripture. Jesus coming back is the most important event waiting to happen in the history of the world. He started, created it all, and it is His to finish. It is all about Jesus. That's why we've been looking at Matthew chapter 24, because if it is all about Jesus and he has given us this prophetic word to look to and in his words to watch out for, then we better be looking to Jesus for those answers while there's still time. So let's look and see what happens at his return, what it looks like. And we can see because Jesus gives us clarity in that in our text. We're going to look at Matthew 24, and we're going to read verses 29 through 31. So let's look at this. It's going to be on our screen here, so let's read this together. Immediately after the stress of those days, after the seven years of great tribulation. Remember, uh, Jesus described those days as a day of distress, a distress like never before. After the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Can you imagine what that's going to look like? The sun ceases to shine, the moon ceases to shine, the stars fall from the sky, 
all these things will happen. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then he says this, then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. What that sign is, we're not entirely sure. Some people speculate that it may be the sign of the cross or something else. We don't know, but there will be a sign in the sky that will show us the son of man and all the peoples of the earth will instantly begin to mourn. They'll mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In the book of Revelation, you can read more detail about what that looks like. Him riding in on a white horse and how he's clothed and what his appearance looks like. But the Bible says, all the world will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then he says this, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. It is going to be a moment like no other. As powerful as the rapture was, as big as the rapture was, as profound as the rapture was, as horrible as the great tribulation was, this moment right here will shine greater and be far, far more important than any of those events. These verses, 29 through 31, tell us of those details. And that's extremely important for us to get. The return of Jesus to this earth is what all of creation is longing for and all of creation needs. Only Jesus coming back can finally restore what has been broken and what has been destroyed and what has been dying and decaying because of sin. This entire message that Jesus has been preaching in, uh, in Matthew 24 that we've been looking at has never been about scare tactic. It's never been about trying to get people to be so afraid that they shake in fear or worry about what's happening next. It's always been about how God has been patient, how God has been gracious and loving for us who are humans and who has been giving towards us or showing towards us grace that he has not come back now to restore, but has waited so that we might be rescued. Jesus came from the very beginning, born of a virgin, to provide a way of forgiveness of sins. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life the entire time he was here so that he could be the perfect sinless sacrifice to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our debt of sin. I am a sinner. You who are watching are sinners. There's no way we can escape that. We have all sinned against the Holy God. And Jesus, who is God in the flesh, died on a cross to pay my penalty and your penalty of sin. And then three days after he died and was buried, he rose again so that once and for all, he could defeat sin in us. Not all the world, not in the entirety of the world, but he could defeat sin in us who would turn from our sin and trust him. His promise to come again, as we just read, his return would be. The whole world will see it. He is coming again to abolish sin once and for all, not just in us who would turn from sin, but in a world that has been broken and devastated by sin. So he's told his disciples in these verses very clearly, watch so that you're not deceived. Pay attention, keep looking, listen for, and be aware of the signs from labor pains to an abomination of desolation to an event that cannot be ignored, my return, I am coming again. And as he's answered their questions about what to look for and how to be ready, he promised over and over again with great emphasis, emphatically saying to him, them, I am coming again. Be ready. No excuse. 
We don't know when. We're going to see that in a moment. We don't know the exact day or hour or decade or century. He simply said, I am coming again. Be ready. At the end of the day, what they did with that. At the end of the day, what we do with that. It was on them and it's on us. Ultimately, what he says is, if he came back today, you and I are without excuse. Because he told us, I'm coming back. Watch out. Be ready. You've heard us say in this message series over the last several weeks, Jesus is offering us hope, not fear. And, and we went on to say that when you find truth, when you find the truth, capital T, when you find truth, you have to trust in that truth and know that that is the truth you need. And your faith isn't about figuring stuff out and gaining all this knowledge and knowing all this stuff. It's about knowing the one, Jesus, who can save you for eternity. These are such important words. And it's such an important idea for you and I to gather and garner into our thinking because Jesus is coming back. The rapture of the church, believers, the great tribulation, seven-year period of time where the rise of an antichrist and a world redesigned to, to turn their back even further on God so that ultimately Jesus could come back and restore once and for all the creation that was made and the people who were made in God's image. Let's get more specific. We don't have time to go all the way to the end of chapter 24 in this series. But there are some verses that follow what Jesus described in his second coming that should hopefully at least solidify in our minds the importance of these words and maybe give us as a takeaway to this entire series, maybe a more serious mindset that the days are growing shorter. Labor pains are becoming more frequent. And his return is any day now. He gives three very specific illustrations. And these three illustrations are from a place of common sense. These three illustrations give us some room to see through the lens of what we see every single day, the return of Christ and the end of this world as we know it. I want to read those. They begin in verse 32 of Matthew 24. We're going to look at these three separately and then we're going to tie this together very quickly and we'll be done today. So let's look at the first one. The first one we read about starts in verse 32 and it says this. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. Can we just stop there for a second before we read any further? The fig tree is an important picture in scripture. Now you may never have seen a fig tree. You may not care about fig trees. It may not be a big deal to you. We had a fig tree in a, a home that Don and I uh, first bought when we got married. And apparently I'm allergic to that tree because I remember thinking, hey, I want to pick something off that tree. And I remember my hand swelling up and, and having to take some Benadryl, some of those kind of things because I had an allergic reaction to it. But a fig tree is more than just that. A fig tree uh, throughout scripture is this, this picture of Israel. Now, I, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but you can read that uh, from the Old Testament. The book of Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 uh, uses that illustration that Israel is a picture uh, or is pictured as a fig tree. 
Uh, so look and see what he says here. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. So learn this lesson from Israel, from the, the picture of Israel. He says, as soon as its branch becomes tender and spouts leaves, you know that summer is near. You know that time is nearing in the end. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. So he says, look to Israel. When you see things happening in Israel, when you see the events unfolding in Israel, when you see things that seem to suggest something is changing, you should know that he is near, literally, at the door. This, there's a broad way to interpret this. So let me just kind of lay a couple of thoughts out to you on this, and then we're going to move to our second illustration. But this may suggest that there'll be an increase in nationalism in Israel as a sign of the end. And we certainly, since Israel was reformed as a nation in the 1940s, we certainly know that there has been a rise of nationalism when it comes to Israel. There are many countries who have pushed back against Israel existing as a nation, and many others, including our own, who have supported their independence and their, their space to be a nation. We know that Israel uh, as a nation have been, has been hated throughout the centuries, uh, even into this current day. Anti-Semitism uh, is still part of our world. People still seem to have issues and problems with Jews, and yet there are record numbers of people who are going home who are Jewish or of Jewish heritage from all the nations. And so there may be some suggestion here that when you see this rise of nationalism or patriotism in Israel, that may be an indication that he is literally at the door. Uh, trees budding indicating summer is near, again, uh, suggesting a season or a time, uh, a specific way, but, an, uh, but not a sure way to know exactly what that looks like. You plant something in the ground and you say it normally buds or blooms or produces fruit at this certain time of year. You can't predict the day. You just know that it should happen during that season. Here is a sign the Lord is coming. And the question mark and the, the, the big idea of this is, are we the generation that sees this fig tree, this idea of Israel, or are we the generation that sees that budding? This makes Israel at the center of all these things, but it also means that we may be that final generation before the Lord returns. So let's read on. The first illustration, that of a fig tree. The second one of an event that took place in the Old Testament. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Again, speaking generationally, that maybe if the fig tree is budding, if Israel is the image today that we need to see is Jesus standing at the door, then that generation won't pass away until these things take place. And he says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. If I've said it, you can bank on it. You can count on it. Now, now we go on further. Now concerning the day and the hour, no one knows that. We don't know. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. And he says, let me give you an illustration of why we don't know the day or hour, but only the Father does. As the days of Noah were. Maybe you remember the story of Noah. Maybe you don't remember the story of Noah. Noah was an Old Testament story. Took place way back in the book of Genesis. When the world was overwhelmed with sinfulness, turning their back on God, God said, we must start over. We must destroy. But rather than destroy all of creation, he called on this man, Noah, and his family who were righteous. And he and his three sons and their wives built this ark where God gathered into it uh, living creatures from all the world to rescue during the great flood. He says, as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah 
support of the ark. They said uh, everybody was just living life. No one knew any different. Nobody cared. Nobody was looking for anything. Nobody was concerned about anything. They were just living life, doing life as they were. Uh, what kept people from living or what kept people from listening to Noah? Maybe it was just that. They were just concerned with their own life. Nothing seemed to matter. They were busy. They were uh, happy. They were self-absorbed. Whatever we want to say, they were distracted with everyday life. So they stopped watching and look what happens. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all the way. It was too late. It happened before they could do anything about it. The flood came. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. He says, if you're not watching, if you're not paying attention, if you're caught up in this world, if this world is all you see and all that is important to you, if you're more concerned about eating, drinking, marrying, living life here, that you forget that this world is ending, then you may be like those who were in the days of Noah, who missed it. And when they realized, they realized too late, the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Now, before we look at our last section of Scripture, let me just pause here and say this. Both of those ideas may seem a little big or broad for you. The idea of what is going on in Israel, maybe you're not super concerned about it. Maybe it's not something you've ever thought about. Maybe it's not something that you really care about. I can kind of understand that. Maybe the idea of, hey, uh, if God gave us this life to enjoy, why can't we enjoy it? I understand that as well. Uh, and, and maybe you're saying it's not that big of a deal. But maybe this one, this last illustration, will hit a little closer to home. Maybe because you've experienced it personally, or maybe because the fear of it is something that keeps you alert um, to your personal belongings. And he describes this event. Look at this. He says, the two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Living life, doing this. Therefore, be alert, since you do not know what day your Lord is coming. He says, listen, listen. If you've got stuff, if you're living life, if you're doing life and you're trying to make your way in life, just be aware, be alert. One will be taken, one will be left. In the middle of whatever activities you're doing, when you least expect it, the Lord is coming. And so he makes this final statement. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The illustration of the thief in the night, working, living life, enjoying life. Maybe an event takes place and one is taken, one is left, all of those things, whatever it may be. We know the fear of someone coming in and stealing from us, taking from us. The illustration he gives is pretty simple. If you knew when a thief was going to break into your house, when you knew that was going to happen, you would be more alert. You'd be ready to stop them from stealing from you. Whether that was using better locks or some sort of protection or a call to the police department, or extra lights, or video, or whatever it may be. If you knew when it was going to happen, you'd be ready. But what he says is, you can't know that. No one knows that. Except 
for the thief himself. And while he's not calling himself a thief, what he is saying is, in the same way you don't know when your house is going to be robbed, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. You don't have that knowledge. I don't have that knowledge. Jesus himself doesn't have that knowledge. The entire section that we've been looking at, there are overtures towards Israel and the tribulation period and all those things. But there's clear application for you and I as well. What are we doing to be ready? He says over and over again, watch, be ready, watch, be ready, be alert. Just like you see the fig tree blooming, I'm at the door. Just like you think about the fact that, that uh, when you least expect it, when you, when you don't realize that it's happening, uh, a flood may come and take you out. Be ready. When you come home and your home has been robbed and you didn't know what to do or you didn't expect it to happen, be alert. We don't know when he's coming for his people. All we can do is be ready, be alert, be watching. Why? Because he promised he was coming. The question really is, are you ready? A lot of people have speculated these days. 2020 has been, it's been a train wreck. It really has as far as life is concerned. Nothing uh, has gone the way we expected it. All the things that we normally would do to enjoy life have been interrupted in some way. School was interrupted for students. Many people have lost their jobs and work was interrupted, meaning income was interrupted, meaning some of the, the just the luxuries of life have been stopped. I've heard of people who had trips planned, that their trip got canceled and they lost money or they or have no idea if they're going to be able to take the trip later. Uh, the other people who have lost uh, loved ones because of a virus that has come in and, and, and because they had other conditions and things going on in their life, they were susceptible to this virus and they lost their life. There are people who to uh, engage in sporting activities of leisure, uh, leisure activities, all those things ended. Nothing has gone the way we've expected. And many people, because of that, have speculated that maybe these are the last days. And maybe they are. Or maybe they're not. Our takeaway is kind of a, a, an interest, interesting thought, but, but let me put it up there. This may not be how the world ends, but it helps us see how it could. What do I mean by that? 2020 may not be the end of the world. We may fully recover from all of these things in the next few months, and I pray we do, and we live on. Some of us may live on for the duration of our lifespan on this world. Or maybe it is. Maybe 2020 is the final push of labor that Jesus described and the events that we're living in now from a worldwide pandemic to economic crisis to all kinds of other things like locusts in Africa and world famines and other, uh, other disasters that are taking place really do give us the final warning to be ready. Whatever it is, whether it is how the world ends or it's not how the world ends, Jesus' message is still the same. Be alert, be ready. I'm coming again. So how do we do that? That starts with you and I recognizing we are sinners and we need a Savior to save us from our sin. It goes further than to say that we admit that we're sinners, but we believe that Jesus is the payment for our sin. We believe in Him. 
And the final step in all of that idea of processing truth and processing who we are and who he is ends with us confessing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And we want him to be Lord and Savior of our lives. I can't tell you anymore uh, if Jesus is coming back tomorrow or if you tomorrow will breathe your last breath for some other reason. I can't tell you any more about how the conditions of our world may get worse or better for decades to come or days to come. I don't know those things. No one does. No one knows the day or the hour. But what, can I, what I can tell you is this. Everything Jesus has promised, he has kept his promise. And he's promised to come back. And he's told us to be ready, to be alert, to be watching. Why not today admit your sin? Why not today believe that Jesus is God's son who can rescue you from that sin and save you? And why not call on him today by confessing him as your Lord and Savior? By turning to him and surrendering your life to him, your eyes will be open to truth and you trusting him will prepare you for a tomorrow that may never come or for a thousand tomorrows that will come, but then will end in eternity in heaven. Either way, with Jesus, your security, your eternity will be sure. So how, how do I do that? How do I get to that point? No, I can't, I can't tell you how to do that from my perspective, but I can tell you that as a matter of faith, as a matter of believing, you can believe in him today and trust him as your Savior and Lord. So why don't you take just a second right now to cry out to him, call to him and say, Jesus, I believe, come into my life and save me. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you today for the truth that is yours to give to us, to know you more. I pray that for that person watching today who does not have assurance that they belong to you, that they've turned from their sin and trusted you as Savior, that today, Lord, you would give them that assurance by having them call on your name. Remind them, Lord, of how much you love them. Remind them, Lord, of how much you care for them and the plans you have for them. And for that one today who would turn to you for the very first time, remind them, Lord, that to be ready, to be watching, gives them great hope, great assurance, and reminds us of how much you do love us, how much grace you've given to us, and what the plans for the future look like kept with you because we're secure for now and for eternity. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.